0: is Getting Real Estate in Vegas, and I am your host, Bridget Magnus. You are watching the Vegas Video Network, and I'd just like to tell you, for those of you who are new to our show, that we are going to talk about real estate with a Vegas twist. And we are going to start off, as we normally do, with the Friday figures. All right, you're not going to believe this. The number of available units is down yet again, completely smashing to smithereens my prediction about where they were going to be this year. We are down to 9,176 available units. Now, you're probably not going to be surprised by the next thing that comes out of my mouth. Median price on a single family home is up to $150,000. Um, Price on condos is unchanged at 55000 and the median price on townhomes is $85,000. That's up. But yeah, part of the reason these median prices are going up is because, well, supply and demand. Part of it is that we did have a big drop in extremely low-priced properties, those under 50000 and those under 100000 of our total, we did have 1,555 foreclosed properties. The median price on those is up. Yes, I did say up to 113000 Remember, this isn't really because there is less delinquency, but rather because of some changes in state law, and I do expect foreclosures to start back up again at some point soon. Short sales, we've got 3,906 of them at a median price of 115000 It's nice to see that price finally starting to tick up a little bit. As far as classic listings, we do have $3,711, and the median price on those is up to $193,000. That's a a price I've not seen in quite a while. Now, over the last 30 days, we've closed 3,590 properties. Median sales price was $105, and median list price was $109. We do have a bunch of houses under uh, contract to be purchased. Um, There's 13,995 of them, just a hair under 14,000. Wait till next week. I'm sure we'll break through that level. Media, uh, excuse me, we also have rentals, um, 5,300 some odd available, 2,700 new leases. Median price on both of those, 1095 per month. Okay, we do, of course, have some news. I got some bad news. Mortgage rates are up to 3.95%, please. We're still near record lows. It's just not as low as it was last week. Um, Home sales were down nationally in January, but December's numbers were revised up to a new high for the year. Good news by any standard. And here's an interesting bit of news. Um, Bank of America is going to stop selling homes to Fannie Mae. I consider this kind of non-news but interesting. Um, Basically, the two are kind of disputing some loans that um, were not everything that they ought to have been. But it doesn't much matter because regulators are trying very hard to uh, um, downsize Fannie. So is this going to have a big effect in the long run? Probably not. Okay, I'm going to take just a minute to open up um, live chat and let you know that questions, problems, and suggestions can come to us by email at gettingreal at vegasvideonetwork.com. If you'd prefer, pick up the telephone and call our toll-free listener hotline. That's 866-966-4599. Just a shout-out, we've got people watching live on the Vegas Video Network, people who are enjoying their favorite shows via iTunes, those of us who looked it up on YouTube, some people watching on Roku, and some very special listeners that are uh, not watching but listening on the radio. That's KSHP 1400 AM. All right. We have a guest today. Um, Before I introduce my guest, I would like to point out that we do have, um, our companies have a business relationship. That's not a big deal, but, you know, disclosure is disclosure. Today, um, we have Chanel Beller of Equity Title, and she's going to talk to us about what the heck happens at an escrow office. All right, we are back. And we have Chanel Beller of Equity Title in the house to talk about what happens at a title office. Yay! Welcome to the show. This is, yeah. this is a show I have been trying to do since episode one, is explain to people what goes on in escrow. All people know, you know, my clients, they have two contacts with the escrow office. The day they send that earnest money deposit check in and the day they come to sign their paperwork. You're much more important to me than you are to my clients, it seems at times. So let's talk a little bit. First off, my first question for you is what kind of education does a title and escrow officer need to have?
1: Well, first, um, let me make you're aware that there's a distinction between a title officer and an escrow officer. Great. Tell us about it. Two very separate jobs. Um, The escrow officer is the person who facilitates the transaction, and that is who the agent, as well as the homeowner, whether they're the buyer or the seller, will primarily deal with throughout the transaction. They're the person who um, facilitates collection of any demands, invoices, collects the contract, collects the money, brings it all together, and settles it at the end. That's okay. the escrow officer in a nutshell. Great. There's a lot more to it, but... Oh, we'll talk more about that <laughs>
0: later. I feel certain. Exactly. All right, um, so the title person on the other side of the coin. The what?
1: title officer is very, very important, and you only hear from them if there's a problem, typically. Okay. They're the person who is going to issue... Well, not issue, but they're going to research the property and issue the uh, preliminary title report. Um, and that... On the preliminary title report, it tells you what's... A, against the property? Are there any liens? Are there any judgments? Any encumbrances? Is there a first mortgage, a second deed of trust? What's on the property? And um, like I said, you really probably don't want to hear from the title officer unless there's, you you just don't want to hear from Okay.
0: (laughs) So, So what sort of resources is this title person going to use to find out all of this stuff?
1: Um, Well, we have a couple of resources in our little secret area. but we do search through a, a general program that all title companies use to research the preliminary title report. So um, one of the misconceptions is that, oh, well, if this particular title company found this on my property, I can move my transaction to another title company, and it won't be found there. That's not the case. Another How would people think that? Because people are devious. Oh, okay. <laughs> another thing that um, is searched, and you'll find that um, the homeowners don't want to fill out often is called the, the SI, or the Statement of Identity, or Statement of Information. And it's so critical and important to be filled out. Um, and what's on that piece of information, or that, that sheet, is their name, their phone number, where they've lived for the last 10 years, if they've ever been married, divorced, is their past spouse deceased, um, have they ever been declared bankrupt, have they had any previous foreclosures, all sorts of very personal information. Um, and we use that because we also search the the general index or we reference things against our social security numbers. So it's more than just searching the person or the property, we also search the person because certain things like IRS liens attach to people as well. So that's part of what we do.
0: That's part of what you do. Okay, so the title person does all of this work, comes up with a preliminary title report mm-hmm. that basically lists everything important about what's going on in the property, the current liens, the past liens. I've seen them go all the way back to, you know, okay, the subdivision was plotted out in X year and further than back than that. We
1: go we go back, uh, I always like to say, to the day God created earth, but probably not quite that far. It doesn't say, oh, this is the day it happened. <laughs> but short of that, it does tell you any mineral, mineral rights. Like in Nevada, there's a lot of mineral rights attached to property. It tells you anything like that, um, Utility easements, things that are very common. And then it starts from the very first time that the lender purchased, acquired, or the lender, excuse me, the builder acquired the land mm-hmm. and goes from there. So from the time they as- assembled this huge parcel of land, broke it up into little tiny parcels because we are in Las Vegas and you typically don't have much land these days. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> so until you get your little parcel of land and then your home is built and from there up, mm-hmm. so and that's what's called a chain of title.
0: It is the chain of title. So then, speaking of the chain of title, let's talks about um, what might happen if the chain gets broken. Tell me what title insurance is about.
1: Title insurance is exactly what it sounds like. It's a form of insurance to protect the title of your property and to protect anybody who has an interest in the property, whether that's you yourself, your lender. Um, and it's issued as a, as a form of protection, basically, Um I'm trying to think of how to explain this in, in layman's terms so that everyone will understand. Um, generally speaking, um, one of the common occurrences that we'll see, are, for instance, are boundary disputes or encumbrances that were missed, things like that. For instance, when you refinance your home, a reco- or anytime you pay off a, a loan, there's a reconveyance. Oftentimes those are missed. We're searching for things like that. Title insurance isn't going to, isn't going to pay those things. They don't, it's not, it's not for that, and and I'm thinking like what a consumer would think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get asked these questions all the time by my friends and family, so I'm just trying to be a little proactive. But um, when they ask those type, when, for instance, let's say there's a first and a second on a property, which is very common in Las Vegas. There's a first and a second on a property. We pull up a preliminary title report, or any title company pulls the preliminary title report, and it shows only a first. And the homeowner is not honest and doesn't tell us for whatever reason that there was a second. Now it gets sold and the homeowner acquires it. This, you have the new buyer who acquires the property. Well, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. And that's where title insurance comes in to make sure that's a broken title or a broken chain, so to speak. Okay, so what's the procedure for fixing that sort of situation? You file a claim.
0: Okay. Just like it's
1: insurance. <laughs>
0: It doesn't matter that whether it's sense. auto
1: insurance, title insurance, health insurance. You're going to file a claim, and then we have to go back and rectify the situation.
0: Okay. So your, uh, your buyer client calls in and says, hey, this is something that got missed. I'm being contacted. I'm being contacted. I, I, what, what the heck do I do? You say, okay, well, you, you've just made the first step. You've called us. So what does your office do to make things better?
1: What we're going to do is we're going to find out if indeed we did miss something, whether it's an HOA lien, things like that. Was it paid off and they never received the payment? Was a payment issued and never received? That's more common than anything. Mm-hmm. A check was issued, but it was never received by that party. Um, not, on a, not on an outstanding loan balance, but on right. an HOA, something smaller like that. Exactly. Um, we're going to find that out. And then um, sometimes it gets really tricky, and sometimes there's lawsuits involved, and it can get, it can be as bad as you can imagine. Oh, I can imagine quite a lot.
0: Speaking of as bad as I can imagine, um, I think we're all aware that there has been a little problem with robo-signing and foreclosure fraud.
1: How does that affect
0: you and your business?
1: Right now, it's not affecting us. I'll just leave it at that. Right now, it's not affecting us at Equity Title of Nevada. Um, There has been talk. um, We actually issued um, a one-page flyer that says, is your REO title safe? And basically, in a nutshell, it says, yes, it is. But it also says that there is talk amongst the industry of putting an exclusion in the policy specifically for robo signing. We well, have not issued. That
0: mean that the buyer beware.
1: Exactly. And there's talk amongst the industry. We haven't seen it yet, and it's not happening at Equity Title, but it's something to be on the lookout for. Just like with your health insurance, if you go out and break your leg, you know the next insurance policy you have is going to have a rider on it that says, "Hey, if you- we don't cover broken legs, we're not going to cover any medical bills for that broken leg." So,
0: okay, well I understand that we have a question. So Scott, tell us what's up.
1: Yeah, I know that we haven't got much time left for this segment, but uh, Nate wants to know why does it take a full 30 days to typically close on a home? Why so long? Um, do you want me to answer or do you want to answer? I, I think we both have some things to add to it. You start and I'll finish. Okay, um, We, our part typically, we take direction from the lenders and from the agents, and we follow the contract. So if the contract says 30 days or sooner, as soon as everybody has all their ducks in a row, we're ready to go. Um, Typically, what we see, the reason that it takes 30 days or longer, is the financing part. If it's a cash transaction, they usually don't take 30 days. Mm -hmm. However, if there is financing involved, that's where the time element comes into play. Unless you're dealing with a short sale or something like that, and I'll let Bridget explain why those can
0: uh, take longer. Yes, well, you know, short sales are their, their own special animal, and, and um, those can take a long time simply because it takes a long time for the bank to approve them. Um, the thing that I was going to add is that usually what holds things up is the, the lender that's going to help you get a mortgage to buy that property. Uh, it can often take 30 days, often take 45 days, particularly with FHA and VA mortgages. So let me see. I do have just a couple more questions that I want to ask, and I'm going to switch over to the escrow side of things. Mm-hmm. Tell me what, what's a HUD one and what sorts of things are you going to
1: see on it? The easiest way to explain a HUD one is, I like to think of it like your check register. You put money in. You take money out, and it should balance out at the end. Okay. So let's assume at the beginning of an escrow transaction, when you're purchasing a home, you're putting money into the transaction, which is your earnest money deposit. Then you're going to get financing. We'll just say it's a financing case. You're going to get a new loan. So you're going to, you're going to deposit additional funds, and then you have your down payment. You're going, to do, uh, you're going to deposit a little bit more money. Now, on the other side of the equation, the seller has money going out. They have to pay off the loan, there's commissions involved, there's invoices or demands that have to be paid, so it's a debits and credits basically form, but everything at the end has to equal to zero, basically, or money is credited back if you over-deposit.
0: Well, that makes that, perfect sense. Does that explain sense? it?
1: Okay. Since I think we're running out of time,
0: I'm going to ask one last question, and that is going to be, what happens on signing day? Okay, signing
1: day is a little bit, um, everybody gets really excited for signing day prematurely, I believe. Um, if you're not from Nevada, some people think everybody comes together at a round table close, and that is not how we do it in Nevada. It still happens on the East Coast in some states, but in Nevada, buyers and sellers sign separately, and I believe, personally, that's a great thing. Um They sign separately. You're going to sign your documents, one of those being the HUD-1. If you're a buyer and you're getting a loan, you're going to sign all your loan documents, along with a few disclosures from escrow. You're going to sign all of that paperwork. You're going to bring in any funds necessary to close. And then you're going to walk away and you're going to wait.
0: That waiting is really hard for my clients, just it, to let you know.
1: It is. And we don't give you your keys, by
0: the way, either. They always no, want their keys. No, that ain't happening. Then what <laughs>
1: happens is we take your loan documents, we send them back to the lender, whether that's via fax or FedEx, we whatever they instruct us to do, and now we wait for them to send in their money. And once we get that, we have all the money collected, then we send it down to record, and then the deal is done and you get keys.
0: Yay! That's the part my clients always love. Well, I would like to thank you so much for coming down here and illuminating a big black box. Um, We'll have to talk again very soon. But um, in the meantime, uh, I'd just like to ask a question of our audience out there. That question is, what were they thinking? (laughs) This crazy little man here is, well, he's not a man. No, he is somebody's idea of outdoor decor. Um, I, I, he, he really spooked me when I walked out of the uh, um, unit across the way after having showed it, and so I just thought you'd enjoy this um, this startling little picture. Okay, so then my last uh, segment of the day is we are going to talk about a real estate myth in real advice.
1: Hi, I'm Chris Phillips from TalkTales, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network. And if you stop by the studio, our producer Scott's going to buy everybody a drink.
0: Yay, it's time for Real Advice, when we are going to talk about a real estate myth. And this one really surprised me, so I figured I'd better get proactive and talk to you about it before you hear somebody telling you things that aren't true. The real estate myth is that the Health Insurance Reform Act that was passed last year imposes a 3.8% transaction tax on all real estate transactions starting in January of next year. The object of this tax would be to pay for Medicare, which, as we all know, Medicare's expenses are going up. Their income is not going up. Obviously, the rock and the hard spot are going to meet up at some point. So the truth of this matter is that, no, this is not a tax on all real estate transactions. It just isn't so. Put it out of your mind. I'm going to tell you what it is here. First off, this is only going to apply to people with high income. If you do not earn more than $200,000, or you and your spouse together don't earn more than $250,000, stop worrying about this. It doesn't apply to you. I don't make 200 grand. Do you make 200 grand? Do not worry about this tax at all unless you are a high earner. In which case you have an accountant. We'll talk more about him later. So this new tax does um, it uh, only apply? It does apply to certain investments. Real estate, for many people, is an investment. The new I'm reading from something here. The new tax applies to the lesser of the investment income amount or the excess of adjusted gross income over the two hundred thousand dollars or 250 grand amount that we were talking about just a minute ago now i want you to remember that one thing has not changed and that is that the sale of your primary residence still has a big exemption for capital gains and by capital gains, I do mean not what you sold it for, but the profit you made on it. If your profit from selling your first home is less than 250000 500000 if you're a couple, then you do not have to worry about paying capital gains on the sale of your primary home. And that has not changed. I don't think it will change either. There's too, too much pushback for that. Um, I do believe I mentioned that it w- will apply to any taxable investment income, that, and that does include and is not limited to real estate. Your stocks, your bonds, what have you. So for those of you who want to know more about what this tax is and what it isn't, um, Well, yes. Um, The first thing is, um, there is a document put out by the National Association of Realtors called the 3.8% Tax Real Estate Examples and Scenarios. You can easily find it on Google, but the best information you can possibly get is from your accountant. Keep in mind that he may laugh that you're asking right now because um, right now you're preparing your 2011 taxes, And this isn't going to be affecting anybody until their 2013 taxes. This is information you won't need for two years. Yeah, don't worry about it just now. Okay, I would like to thank everybody for joining me on a beautiful Friday. Um, Go ahead, if you've still got questions, problems, or suggestions, you can email them to gettingreal at vegasvideonetwork.com. The toll-free hotline is still open at 866-966-4599. Anybody who has a personal real estate question for me should find my contact information and the full version of the Friday figures at BridgetMagnus.com. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Drive safe this weekend. Peace out.